What does it look like to have a marriage by the book? We hear so many versions of what our current or future marriage should look like from our friends, our parents, our Instagram, our TikTok. But what would it look like to apply what God's Word says about marriage? How could the Bible transform the way we live today? All right, hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Do me a favor, help me welcome all of our first time guests. We're so glad to have you guys worshiping with us both online and here in the room. Well, hey, as you can tell, we're doing something very different today, starting a brand new series. Got my wife on stage with me. Everybody help me welcome my wife to the stage. And we're doing a new series called Marriage by the Book. And the idea, the title kind of comes from one of those old cop shows. Has anybody ever watched one of those? I grew up watching these, these old cop shows where there was like the bad guy that would manage to get away every time, like just really tricky and sneaky. And, and maybe the same with Batman. I grew up watching Batman, you know, and just always frustrated because it seems like the bad guy, first of all, finds every loophole. And second of all, seems to have corrupt friends at City Hall that always gets them out of trouble. And as they're getting let out of, of jail, they, they smile at the cops or even laugh at them. And so then there's the one time where it looks like they're finally going to catch him. And the, the boss comes and talks to the junior police officers and says, this time, do it by the book, right? You know what I'm talking about. And the point to that is there is a way to do it. There's a procedure, and if you follow this procedure, it'll defeat the loopholes, it'll overcome the corruption, and, and the good guys win in the end, right? Well, we have the same problem in marriage. There is a book. There, there is a book, there is an idea on how to do marriage that's going to give us a better chance of defeating all of the loopholes, the corruption, and, and uh, to make sure we know who the bad guy is. Because there is a bad guy in marriage, by the way. And before any of you get in trouble with elbowing your spouse, it's not your spouse. It's the devil. I want to remind you that as the devil began his attack upon humanity, it wasn't just humanity he was attacking. It was the first marriage that he was attacking. He hates marriage. He hates marriages that work. He hates godly marriage. He hates the family, and the marriage is the foundation of the family. And so this series is about looking at God's idea for marriage compared to all of the other ideas that exist. You do know there are many ideas for marriage, right? Look, don't raise your hand for these, these right here. But some of us, our idea for marriage came from our parents. Like, we're all like, yeah, I do exactly what my parents did. And then there are other people like, I do exactly the opposite of what my parents did. Again, don't raise your hand. Some of us are doing what Oprah suggested. Some of us are doing what Dr. Phil suggested. Some of you are doing what another book suggested. But God has an idea for marriage because, I don't know if you realize this or not, God created the first marriage. God was the one who looked down after creating man and said, it is not good that man be alone. And, and everybody pay attention to this because many people miss a very important detail in this story. When God looked and said, it is not good for man to be alone, he did not create a hunting buddy for him in the Garden of Eden. He created a wife. Marriage is God's idea. And so there's a good chance that if we were to put more of God's ideas for marriage, by the book, into our marriage, we've got a better chance of success. Speaking of the chance of success, did you guys know that in the marriages of all the ideas that we see around us, 
the world around you, the culture around you, the books that you read, talk shows, every idea that you see around you, did you know that the failure rate is more than 50%? So I just want to ask you a question. How many of you would base any other important life decision on something that had a less than 50% chance of success? So for instance, how many of you maybe on your bucket list is to go skydiving? And so at your next birthday, you, you get to the place and they say, hey, we're so glad to have you here. Thanks for flying with us. Pick up one of those parachutes. They open a little less than half of the time. <laughs> Who's going? Anybody? Or maybe I could say to you, there is a greater than 50% chance the stock market will crash tomorrow and you will lose absolutely everything that you have invested. How many of you would remove all of your money? Exactly, you're not taking the chance. Or how about those of you, you go to a Christmas party and you notice that every other person that drinks from the punch bowl falls down dead. <laughs> how many of you are going to continue to make your way, step over the pile of bodies and then drink from the punch bowl. But why do we do that in marriage then? Well, I think one of the reasons is because God's ideas are not the easiest to swallow. Can we just say it that way? Matter of fact, I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you our plan for this series, we're gonna have three of our pastors and their wives share with you three of the most formidable, uh, important messages from the book about how to do marriage God's way. And my wife and I have volunteered to take what I think is the most difficult, most controversial one of them. And uh, if the other pastors want to argue with that, they'll get their chance with the mic. But that's what I'm saying here today. We're going to take on the most controversial one of those, the one that is hardest for us to say, I want to try it that way. It is, it is very counterculture. It is just not something that we want to hear in our world today. And so a lot of times we look at the Bible and say, no way, I will give it a shot doing what everybody else is doing but that's one of those parachutes that opens less than half of the time. So I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you up front as we get into the series, especially as my wife and I get ready to get started here, you're not gonna like all of this. You're not gonna to want to hear some of it and some of it you are going to outright reject. So I'm just gonna ask you before you get up and pretend to get coffee and run for the car, would you just give it a moment? Would you at least listen I've got 35 minutes, give it 35 minutes, think about the 50% rate and pray. That's, that's all I'm gonna ask of you. Because my wife and I are here with 25 years and we, that, that would be our hope for everybody else. Matter of fact, we're closer to 26, we're almost to 26 years, right? Yes. And we can tell you, we didn't always do it God's way. It's taken a lot of work to get here, but oh, our yeah. hope for you is the same. And so as this will be difficult, would you at least give God a chance? So speaking of the more difficult passage, we're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter three if you're following along in your Bibles. If not, it's all gonna be on the screen right here. And my wife <laughs> is going to get us started. Whew. Our passage starts talking to the wives and it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. <laughs> Just like, I just, it doesn't matter how we package this subject for us. It's just like, it's not going to happen. It doesn't sound good. Um, hate it with passion. Anyway. But I, I want to tell you a little bit of my upbringing to kind of understand where I'm coming from. 
I grew up in a communist nation, um, so our government was like controlling us and censoring us. Uh, with that came my dad, which was kind of the same, very dysfunctional. And my mom was controlling and ruling the roost all the time. So I never had like a authority figure that was good, so it's always been a bad experience with authority, male authority. So. When the Bible told me I have to submit to my husband, I was like, there's got to be something wrong with this Bible. Um, that's, that's not, it's not happening. It's just not. Um, but in my heart, I knew that something was missing. So I prayed that God would give me a husband that I cannot con control. That he could... <laughs> I couldn't respect a man that I could control and manipulate like my mom was doing with my dad. So, um, well, be careful what you ask for from God, because <laughs> you might get it. So, uh, I hate it. Like, we got married and we got a lot of conflict because I wasn't about to. Okay, so I did, um, so submission for me was equal to control. So, I wasn't going to let myself be controlled by anybody. Um, although he was, is a godly man and everything, because of my upbringing, I could, submission was not a thing I could have done because of, right. So, and this has been, it's been like a, the hardest thing for us to overcome in our marriage, for me to actually be able to um, submit to his leadership. Um, okay, so that came with a lot of disrespect because <laughs> I put him through a lot, y'all. Um, and I did her, just for the record, but that's uh, another day sermon. Yes. <laughs> as you were saying. As, as I was saying, just to give you an example, I mean, the disrespect, um, we were sitting together on a couch and I was in a text group with some of my friends and... I would just text and it would just be like a fire text, you know, you're about to drop. And he would look over my shoulder and say, baby, don't send that text, you know. And um, I would just look at him like, I don't even know why are you in my business? Like, why are you here sitting here telling me what to do? I mean, like, why are you even reading my text? Anyway, but uh, so the disrespect came when I, I would just have my phone and look at him and just boop. <laughs> How did that go like for you? We're not talking about that. <laughs> so it's, it's never been good. But so <laughs> through years of that, I just learned to maybe listen. So let me clear. <laughs> Yes, and we won't say how many years of that. But anyway, uh, I want to clarify a few things this passage is and is not saying when it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, first of all, what it is saying is that God has decided who has the leadership role and who has the partnership role. There always has to be someone in each. There is in every government, every army, every school, every business, and the same for a family or a marriage. There has to be someone who understands their role to represent uh, God and to answer to God for everything. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. But the point to that is this is God saying there is a role for the man and there is a role for the woman inside of marriage. The submission is to the husband, not to men in general. 
This does not mean that women have to walk down the street and follow orders of any man that chooses to speak. That, that is not what this is saying. It is saying inside of marriage, there is a leadership role and a partnership role. Uh, this is for the good of the marriage and for the home. Uh, it does not mean that one is better than the other. Uh, it does not mean that God says, I've, I've made the man better always. That's not it. It's just saying somebody's got to be in that leadership role. The second thing this is not saying is that this is not the same type of submission that you would see between a parent and a child. Right. Ladies, you do not become his first child. That is not the case at all. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you an analogy, and no analogy is ever perfect, but this one comes pretty darn close. You pick your sport. It won't matter which one, but this is very similar to that of a head coach and an associate head coach. You see, a head coach understands that at the end of the day, they have to make the final decision on the call for the play. They have to say, this is what we're going to do. But... A good head coach recognizes that they're not always the smartest person in the room. And I've done a lot of marriage counseling, man, I'm just going to tell you, rarely are you the smartest one in the room, just for the record. And so a head coach recognizes, I don't know every position on the field. I haven't played every position on the field. That's why I have lots of coaches around me. I don't know that person as well as this person. And so that's why you have to have conversations that are like, honey, what, what do you think that child is going to be able to do here? How do you think they're going to respond? How do you think we need to talk to them? And, and what is your feeling on this investment idea we have? And everything is a conversation between a head coach and an associate head coach because they may know the budget better. They may know math better. They may know your child's dynamics better. They may, they may know you better. I mean, it's not at all about a superior inferior idea. It is simply about recognizing one person has to walk into the team owner's office on Monday morning and either get fired or not and answer for the win or the loss. And as we're going to learn as we go further into the passage, that, that head coach analogy is perfect because God is going to hold the husband responsible first for the direction of the family and the health of the children and the health of the wife. That'll make a whole lot more sense as we keep going, so just hold on to that. But uh, what comes next in our passage? Be subject to your own husbands, ugh, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, we don't all have believers, uh, husbands that are believers or even mature believers, but that doesn't change the command of God to us as women. Actually, God says that our attitude and action can impact our husband's faith journey. Yeah, we, we'd just like to take a moment and say that I know there's, there's probably got to be a lot of, of women in the room right now that are saying, wait, wait, wait. And, and we understand how difficult that is. We've been a pastor for a long time. We've, we've worked with a lot of, of ladies and a lot of people that are married and are struggling with this very point because, you know, the idea is, oh, oh sure, that's easy for Ramona to say. She's on stage sitting next to the pastor. Of course she can say, submit to your husband. We want you to understand there's an entire message, if not a whole series of messages to ladies who are married to someone who is uh, either not a believer or not a spiritually mature believer. And we're going to move on simply because we don't have time to address that, but this is also not the right setting for that. In most cases, that's a very individual conversation. 
And so I want to point you to two things. The first one would be we have life groups here. We have a lot of ladies' life groups. And just statistically, uh, chances are you're in the majority if you are a woman who is in a marriage and your husband is either not a believer or not as mature as uh, he, he should be at this point in life. You are probably in the majority. And so chances are there's a women's life group that would be of great support and encouragement to you. There are some women who are further down the road in that journey that would be able to give you uh, some good wisdom and some advice. I want to encourage you to start with one of our women's life groups. But I also want you to know we have pastors and wives, elders and wives, and we have a lot of people that can help you have that conversation. We don't want to, to blow that moment off or make light of it. This is just the, not the right setting to try to address all of those individual nuances. So I, I hope you understand the, the grace there and allow us to keep going into the passage. All right. Next is do not let your adorning be external. external. The braiding of the hair and the putting on a gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Well, first, it doesn't mean that you cannot dress cute and have earrings and stuff like that. Yes, so th thank you. It means that your focus has to be on developing your inner self. For me, how that looked like in order for submission to take place in my life, it had to I had to make um, peace with my past. I had to um, forgive a bunch of people. Uh, my dad, my, even my dicta dictator, in order to get rid of that control that was looming over me. Yeah, so, you know, the real focus here is understanding he wasn't saying that you, you couldn't dress nice and have these things. The, the idea was that uh, the women would then dress themselves up either to make their husbands jealous or to pursue another option if their husband didn't pay attention, if y'all understand. And so he's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not the avenue to take when something's not working in your marriage. Uh, the correct situation is to start with the hidden person of the heart. And although he's still talking to the wives, I want the men to pay attention. I want everybody to pay attention here because this really is our problem in marriage. It's the hidden person of the heart. No one knows that person as well as your spouse. And you get married and that's what shows up. And we would all love to say the hidden person of our heart is gracious and loving, understanding. Your spouse might say otherwise. And so does the mirror. The truth is our inner person of the heart, the hidden person of the heart is sinful and selfish. And it takes a life journey of becoming more like Jesus for that to change. But he actually wants to point out here that the beautiful idea of a hidden person of the heart for the wife is a gentle and quiet spirit. What do you think of that one, babe? Oh, well. <laughs> they already know you, look at that. I'm not quiet or gentle, that's for sure. Um, so th that was a struggle for me hearing this because I was like, so I have to change my personality? I mean, like, it is what it is. But um, your personality is not the same as your spirit. This is what I learned through this. Um, for me, I'm, just to give you an analogy, I'm like a bull in a china shop. I can get in there and just be really strong and do some damage uh, with my words or whatever. But... Um, 
you know, the, uh, a bull can be uh, trained to walk through the china shop and not break stuff. So for me, I had to literally submit to the Holy Spirit and for him to say, come on, don't move your tail in the china shop, come on, you know. And my, because <laughs> you know they have this powerful tails. Um, so, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but, and to submit myself to the Lord and then to my husband because <laughs> we will go out and um, he has the spidey senses when I'm about to just blow. Like we will go out with people and they will just, he will know when I get triggered and I will, I will just go all out. And he would just touch my knee, like, hey. So he was still, he was still talking, talking to people. And I'd be like, are you serious? You're not going to even look at me? Because he was just like straight and just, it's hard to submit with a hand on, <laughs> to be quiet. I just don't want to be quiet. So <laughs> it took me quite a bit to learn that that means stop. Because I would just keep going. And of course, I would get in trouble again. So. Um, there were but, the first few dinners where she said, why are you pinching my leg, honey? What are you doing? Let me talk. What's going on? So um, for me, I am a, a strong personality, but um, so the phrase that comes to mind is strength under control. Yes, you can be a powerful woman, but just be under the submission of uh, God. Right. Yeah, a lot of ladies read this and they think it means they have to, you know, change their personality into that of a librarian or something like that. Quiet. And it's not about changing your personality. It is simply about uh, being led by the Holy Spirit and understanding every one of us, every one of us, our personality does need to become more like Jesus. That's, that's our yes. journey. So there you go. Oh, next. <laughs> Uh, for this is how the holy women of, who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. And if you do good, and do, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Yeah. So I imagine if a woman is at alone, alone at home reading this passage for the first time. Uh, this is the third strike. At this point, you take your Bible and throw it across the room because yes. it just said that we're supposed, that ladies are supposed to follow the example of Sarah and how she obeyed Abraham. And if you don't know the Bible, maybe that's not a problem for you, but here's what the story is talking about. Abraham and Sarah were nomads who wandered the, the earth and at, they were married. And as they did so, Abraham was afraid because his wife was beautiful, like mine. He, he was afraid that they would want to kill him in order to have his beautiful wife. And so as they would go into these cities, uh, as they were traveling around, he would say, well, well, Sarah, honey, just please tell them you're my sister so they will not kill me and it will protect me. That's not coming back from that, y'all. And... and <laughs> It turns out, you know, that... He did it twice. He did it twice. Can you believe that? He did this twice in the Bible. And so a lot of people, they read this passage and think, the Bible is telling me I have to obey my husband even when he's telling me to do something stupid and sinful. And that is not what this is saying. So let me bring some clarity here. What you need to understand is that Abraham and Sarah, they show up at the beginning of our Bible. They didn't have the Bible. 
They were the people who were just learning who God is. It is from people like Abraham and Sarah and Moses and so forth that we learn God's nature, God's character, and God's expectations for mankind and sin. We did, they didn't have that. And so all they knew was to operate as best they could. And so for Abraham, he didn't have scripture to help him understand that this was lying. He thought it was not a lie since it was half true. She was his half sister. They had the same father, but not the same mother. You know, just like all y'all folks from West Virginia, one of those kind of stories. I only did that because one of our pastors is from West Virginia, and I'm trying to see just how many texts he can get today. But anyway, total joke. Sit back down, Tim. I was just kidding. I know where you're from too. All right. So the point to that is Abraham was like, well, honey, it's half true. It'll be okay. And I stay alive. And he, he watched as Kings took his wife off twice. Mm. Now the good news, ladies, let's, let's back up and understand the passage. Both times God sovereignly protected her. Amen. And the passage started out by saying, this is how the holy women who hoped in God, hoped in God submitted to their husbands. In other words, it was God that was protecting her even when her husband was dumb. Thank God. And that is what the real command is, is for, for the, the trust to submit to your husband to begin by trusting in God. So just, just as you, you think this is saying follow your husband into sin, it is not. There is plenty of scripture to say that you never follow anyone, not a president, nor a husband, nor a parent, into sin. We never, no one gets authority higher than God in our lives. So, hope that helps. So, at this point, submission, it's about trusting our, um, it's not about trusting our husbands to be perfect leaders or, or men. They won't, they won't be all the time. Uh, submission, it's, Trusting God, period. Yeah, yeah and, and uh, I, I want to just take a moment if I could, you know, because we keep using this word submission and a lot of people are like, I just, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to wait till they're done. I'm just going to, can't wait for lunch. This is, you know, whatever. I just want to call out the elephant in the room and point out a truth that some people are overlooking. Someone is always submitting. Yes. Someone is always the leader. And so you could say, I'm not going to do this. It's an old-fashioned idea. I, I reject this idea of the wife submitting to the husband. I've done a lot of marriage counseling. I've done a lot of premarital where I've sat with couples and, and talked to them about God's roles in marriage and God's expectation for their marriage. And it's fun. It's always about week three in premarital that someone thinks, oh, well, well uh, Pastor Jimmy, I've got a better idea. We've already agreed. We're, we're just always going to be in unity and we're going to only make decisions when we're in agreement. And that's all the married people without being prompted, telling you how foolish that thought is. Well, here's the reality. Here's what happens. So you get married, you've decided we will only move forward when we agree that what happens is the husband or the wife comes up with an idea. They say, honey, I think we should, or I was praying and I feel like God would have us do this. And the other person says, I don't think so. The one who disagrees is now the leader. They're in charge because you already agreed that if someone disagrees, you don't move forward. So the person who is in charge of the marriage and the family is now the one who disagrees. You just gave veto power, the highest authority in, in your family. 
And what it means is that you will never accomplish anything if you don't agree on everything. And the person who wants to be the most disagreeable gets to be in charge. And then that becomes very vindictive. Because over time, somebody will say, well, I remember my idea, you wouldn't do mine, so I disagree with yours. And then it goes back and forth, and you too can move to Washington and make all your friends who don't agree and <laughs> never get anything done. That was a better joke than y'all gave me credit for. <laughs> it doesn't work in government. It doesn't work in your marriage. Look, here's the reality. Someone is always leading. Someone is always submitting. You can choose God's model, or you can make up your own. You can let it be the person who disagrees. You can, you can decide whatever you want to do, but, but God has an idea. And speaking of the idea that God has an idea of who should be leading, we're now going to turn to the husbands because that's where we get to for verse 7. And if you're looking at your clock and you're noticing that we're almost done, ladies, before you send me an email for spending most of the time addressing the ladies and less time talking to the men, I just want to point out we're just being true to Scripture. Uh, there are six verses addressed to the ladies, and only one addressed to the men. And I personally read this as though it's not the ladies that have the most problems. It is that the ladies could actually comprehend and process and make the most changes. And men, we could only handle the one sentence that he wrote us. It's just, it's just the best we could do. So you can take it up with Peter in heaven, or you can send Kent an email, but either way. I'm going to get on a plane to Africa tomorrow and y'all just, I'm just not even going to worry about it. So here's what he says in verse seven. He turns, he says, likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. And we have a lot of bad jokes. Bad joke number one, we say things like, women, you can't live with them. Can't live without them. Which only shows that we don't understand. And that's why the Bible has to look at us and say, you need to understand. We actually have to have someone tell us that your wife is not your best friend growing up, not just a female version of them. This is not a female version of your current bowling buddy. This is not a female version of your college roommate. She's a woman. She is utterly and completely different, and you have to learn how to understand and how to treat her, and we actually have to be told to do that. It's the most baffling thing in the world. And so he goes on to say the most offensive part, maybe, of the whole message. If you haven't thrown your Bible across the room as a woman yet, you probably will when you get to this sentence. It's the fourth strike when he says, live with your wife in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Yes, we're, we're not weak. So what does this mean and what does it not mean? First of all, weaker vessel does not mean superior, inferior. Right. We've touched on that. I told you we'd, we'd talk more about it. Well, here, here's where the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, we are all his workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that men are created better or only men are created for good works. The truth is that, that many times the wife is more artistic, smarter, more creative. I could keep going, more beautiful. Guys, if you don't think your wife is more beautiful, you, you're crazy. That all, that's all there is to it. This is not about someone being better, not about someone being less. There are two contexts that apply when we talk about weaker vessel. One of them was important at the time, and then the other one transcends time and culture. You see, when this was written, it was written in a culture where brute force 
and strength ruled everything. The strongest army had any land it wanted. The most forceful and brutal and tyrannical ruler sat on the throne the longest. People like me didn't have a chance. Five, five, and... I mean, you had to be six foot, biceps the size of a leg, and wield a sword that would chop someone in half. You ruled the world. Brute force and strength. And so those same men took that home. In the same way that they would conquer a nation, they conquered their family. And it's funny because a lot of people point to this passage that starts out, wives submit to your husbands, and people say, oh, 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 I'm not going to do that old-fashioned idea. It's not old-fashioned. This was a new idea. You see, the old-fashioned idea had been around for millennia. Male domination, force and strength, and abuse of women had always been upon the earth. And God says, that is not my plan for my daughters, and it never has been. This was a new confrontational idea, countercultural then as much as now. When you're like, oh, that was easy back then. No, no, no. It might have seemed easy in the Bible Belt in the 1950s, but other than that, it has never been a cultural idea. It has always been counterculture for thousands of years. Because God looked down from heaven and said, this has got to stop because his daughters are precious. And we see stories even in the Bible of how women were not treated the way that God intended for his daughters to be treated. And so God speaks through Peter and says, okay, men, I'm gonna hold you to a very high position of leadership, but you better, you better treat her right. You better honor her. And you better not ever find out if you're stronger than her by hitting her my little girl that transcends time and culture now to today brute force is not necessarily the way that we accomplish as much and so there's another way that I'd like to give you an analogy to help understand the idea of a weaker vessel what that simply means is that she breaks differently your wife breaks differently than all your buddies The truth is, two guys, the way that we show our friendship is we woke up to each other, say something snarky or insulting like, dude, who dressed you today? Then punch them on the shoulder and say, let's go get lunch as they punch you back or knock you in the back of the head. And we go, we've got a good friendship. (laughs) Because you'd never do that to somebody you just met. It's how guys, the, the banter and the the pushback and the laughter and not taking it personally shows we've got a good friendship. Gentlemen, if you didn't already know this, let me help you out. Do not walk up and ask her who dressed her today and then punch her. It will be on. It will be on. (laughs) Let's go get, get, let's get ready to rumble. That's all. That's what I hear. (laughs) Because she breaks differently. You see, the idea of a weaker vessel is like a thermos in a crystal glass. I'm still in this illustration from someone else who was smart enough to come up with it, another pastor long ago. You see, they're both drinking vessels. They both have great purpose and use. And if you want to keep your coffee hot for five hours, the thermos is very useful. But if you want to drink a $100 bottle of wine, don't put it in a thermos. 
use the crystal glass. And, and gentlemen, just as a point, have you noticed the greater the value always goes with the crystal glass? I think that's the way God wants us to see his daughters. But that crystal glass will break very differently than a thermos. See, a thermos, you can, you can drop it out of the truck. It can roll off the back of the truck. You can turn around and go back a half mile. You can pick it up. You can even have a dent in the side of it. And you can still drink out of it. But not with a crystal glass. And God is saying, I need you to stop treating my daughters like my sons. I need you to honor her. She has a soul that is not made the way yours is. It's going to, it's going to leave a mark. It's going to crack. And sadly, it took God speaking through a man for us to be able to understand this. I mean, it took thousands of years to get to this point. Men had not figured it out. And for 2,000 years since, we still hadn't figured it out because we still think this verse gives us permission to boss our wives around. And that's not what he's saying. Matter of fact, he goes on to say, honor them as the weaker vessels since they are heirs with you as the grace of life. You see, they are equal heirs with us of God. They are equal citizens of the kingdom of God. They have the same talents, the same gifts, as I've said before, sometimes even better. And, and we will spend eternity together. So look, if you're going to treat her poorly, just remember she's going to be reminding you of it for three billion years and then some. So treat your wife with eternity in mind. That's a long time, guys. And he finishes the whole passage with, do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. But we just finished a prayer series talking about how this applies to everybody. God looks down from heaven and he sees the way his sons treat his sons, his daughters treat his daughters, his sons and daughters treat each other. And he says, look, this is going to hinder your prayers. I, I, I know, I already taught it. If you need to go back and, and get that message, the way we treat other people does cause God to not listen to our prayers. But the reason I believe that this passage specifically addresses the men in this moment is because of the leadership role. You see, a lot of ladies hate this passage until they understand it, and a lot of men love it until they understand it. I think by the time we're done here in a minute, it's gonna be flipped. Because men think this means I get to sit in the seat of authority and say, you better submit. And ladies are like, uh-uh. How dare God put that in the Bible? I've got three sons and I've got one daughter. She's the baby. She's the princess. That means out there somewhere on planet Earth is one future son-in-law that's got the hardest job description ever. Because <laughs> I am made in God's image, but I'm still fallen and I have weapons. <laughs> now, if one of my future daughters-in-law wants to smack my sons around a little bit and tell them how stupid they're being, they probably deserve it. I'll laugh. I'll watch. <laughs> but if that young man does not treat my daughter like the greatest gift he's ever had, and that's God's heart for you, ladies. This is simply recognizing someone always has to be in leadership. Someone always has to be the partner. God chose a model. The man sits in the seat of leadership inside of marriage. But then he turns to the man and says, don't you dare lord that over her. 
she's my daughter. If you don't understand what I think of my daughters and the corruption that they've had to go through upon earth and throughout history, oh, let me tell you something. You better honor her. You better understand how easy it is to break her. You better treat her. Matter of fact, I'm going to start with you. I won't even listen to a word you say if you do not take good care of her. You will answer first because you are the leader of the home. You are the one that I will hold accountable for her spiritual health, her emotional health, and that of your children. You come first. This is not a position to lord it over. This is a position you better hold in deep reverence before an almighty God. Now, men, how many of you, this is your favorite passage now? And ladies, if you understand that this was God's way of bringing women outside of that tyrannical, male-dominated, forceful culture and putting her in a home, a safe place with a godly man to protect her. That's what God was coming against 2,000 years ago. He was protecting his daughters. And again, some of you are not married to that kind of man at this moment. Life groups, pastors, wives, please reach out. For all of the single women in the room, can I just tell you, I, when I do premarital counseling, I take this moment so seriously, I scare the guys. It's week three, and I always adjust my chair a little bit. I look her right in the eyes. I completely ignore him, and I say, this is your last chance. If you're not willing to follow him now, run. If he's not wise enough now, if he's not godly enough now, run. Because the day you say I do, God holds you accountable for 1 Peter 3. Ladies, stop thinking you're going to make him into something. Only the Holy Spirit's going to make him into the man you want him to be. So don't marry a man that you're not willing to say, thank you God for giving me this man to be the protector for my soul and my life. Run. Run. And gentlemen, I hope that you'll treat this passage with the deep reverence of leadership and understanding this is what God's calling you to. It's a big, big deal because God loves his daughters. I can promise you that. We'd like to end by praying for you guys. My wife is going to uh, pray for the ladies and I'm going to pray for the men. And I hope that this has given you some new insight into a passage that is simply not well received by our culture today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as women, Lord, we, we come before you, Father. And please, um, Lord, just help us to just submit, Lord, to you. I pray, Lord, that you fill us with your spirit. I pray that you give us your healing, Father. Heal us, heal us, Father. Heal our souls. God, I pray as husbands that we would receive and accept the challenge from you to create a safe place for all of your daughters on planet Earth, yes, one man to one woman at a time that we would love her and lead her well, that we would protect her, 
that we would want her best and that of our children. God, I pray for every man right now that we would recognize you are calling us to a very uh, honorable position of leadership, but also a very serious position of leadership. And that we would see it not as something to lord over our wives and our children, but as the greatest position of servant. Just as Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. That we, we recognize that if that's what God in the flesh, the Son of Man chooses to do, that that is what you've called us to do in our home. To serve our wives and children for their good. That we will stand before you and we will give them back to you. And God, may we give back our wives and children to you better. May we be the kind of sons that you're calling us to be. Thank you, God, for your spirit as well. We can't do it without it. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. One of the best, if not the best part of God's plan for us is the fact that humanity was sinful, separated itself from God, and yet he still loved us so much. He said, that's, that's not acceptable to me, so I'm going to solve your problem. And in his love, he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, die on the cross, pay for our sins, be raised from the dead so that we can be raised to eternal life. We call it the free gift of salvation. If you've never received this gift by making Jesus your king, I want to help you do that right now, wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now... I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. My simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with those people? Amen.